I wanted to make sure that I take that opportunity since Alf came up to just say thank you, uh, and I hope that you will say thank you to your staff, just so that you'll know who is here with us. Uh, Al is helping run sound. Uh, we have Angie Leonard, who is working on our computer. Chad is behind cameras. You couldn't see Kasai today, but he is playing keys. Uh, and we have Marcus, who is outside, uh, just trying to make sure that we are able to uh, be contained in here. And so we are thankful for everyone uh, who made today possible. And so if you would give a shout out to to, uh, all of your staff who made today possible for us to be able to worship together. Uh, we are continuing a series where we're looking at what does it mean to be the church. And this is really, like I think everybody is asking that question. Uh, when you strip everything away, what, is it, what does it mean? What, is, what does it mean to be the church that Jesus Christ created? And I, I go back to the prayer that Jesus prayed uh, in John chapter 17, where he prays for the church, just like God and Jesus are one, pray for us to be one. All the things that divide us, the things that we think separate us, that when we are one body empowered by the Holy Spirit, that God can do amazing things and accomplish amazing things through us. And so that's what I want us to be able to look at today. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 13. We'll get there in just a few moments, but go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 13. We're pretty much going to stay there the whole time. And I kind of want to shift gears a little bit um, and look at kind of where we see the church in the book of Acts beginning to do what we're talking about doing. Uh, if you remember over the last few weeks, we've seen the Holy Spirit move in the people in Jerusalem. We've seen the people, the Holy Spirit move in the people in Samaria. Last week, we saw the Holy Spirit move in just individual houses. Uh, and so today we seek just kind of an expansion where we begin to see how does the church react and how, and how, how does that affect the life of the church when you begin to see uh, new people coming in. Uh, we're blessed. If you worship here regularly at Stockbridge First, you know we're, we're blessed to have a very diverse group of people uh, that come in on each and every given Sunday morning. Um, but we can look at this text and see there's a natural tendency sometimes, I think, uh, to fight that. And I want us to look at how we do that. And so Acts chapter 13 um, we begin to, to meet or we get to see a, a, an encounter between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, last week we looked at Peter, and so today we're going to be looking at this story that involves Paul and Barnabas. Now, they are two of the early church leaders. They were people who started some of the churches that we read about in the New Testament. And what we see in this text is we see them traveling around. They, they leave and they go down to Cyprus, and then they go back up to what would be modern-day Turkey today. Uh, and then they go inland to a, a Roman colony called Pisidian and Antioch. And this is a real kind of, in, in that day and age, we think of it as an international city. There was this huge highway that went through Pisidian. And so people from all over came to live there. And so there were all kinds of people from different nationalities, different ethnicities, and they all gathered. And there was a large Jewish population that lived there. And so Paul and Barnabas go to, uh, to interact with this crowd. And they are... Jewish men who go to a city on a Sabbath day, and so what are they supposed to do? But they go to the synagogue. Uh, now, in the normal synagogue experience, they would, um, they would recite the Shema, and then they would have someone read a passage from the law, and then they would have someone who would read a passage from the prophets, and then they would invite anybody who is in that wants to offer 
a word of encouragement or a word of exhortation. Uh, and so for like a control freak like myself, that would be like my nightmare uh, to give anybody that wanted to speak the opportunity to be able to have an open mic. But that's kind of basically what you see happening in this text. And so if you go into your story, look at Acts chapter 13. Let's look at Paul and Barnabas starting in verse 14. It says, they went on from Perga and arrived at Antioch in Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they entered and found seats in the synagogue there. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue leaders invited them, brothers, if one of you has a sermon for the people, please speak. And so Paul gets up and preaches. Now Luke, who's writing Acts, um, Luke gives us three of Paul's sermons, and this is one of his longest sermons that he preaches and he knows that he's speaking to a Jewish, Jewish audience, so he kind of begins to identify himself. And he begins to tell the story. He explains how God chose the people of Israel. He explains how God makes them a nation, how God's going to give them land. Um, he shares with them that God's going to give them a king, or God gave them a king, and then eventually got King David. Uh, and then he promises that through the lineage of David that he will provide a savior. And then time wears on and uh, the prophet John the Baptist comes in and says hey this time is now coming and then Jesus appears and Jesus does all these miracles and all these wonders and Paul begins to explain all this to the people and how Jesus was arrested and how Jesus was crucified and how Jesus was buried but then on the third day he was raised from the dead and this is this good news that Paul wants to share but he says this good news is available for everyone so let's look at verse 38 he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, know this. Through Jesus, we proclaim forgiveness of sins to you. From all those sins from which you couldn't be put in right relationship with God through Moses' law, through Jesus, everyone who believes is put in right relationship with God. And then Paul concludes with this warning to not reject the good news. And so then you come to verse 42. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue... The people urged them to speak about these things again on the next Sabbath. When the people in the synagogue were dismissed, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism accompanied Paul and Barnabas, who urged them to remain faithful to the message of God's grace. Do you see what's happening? Paul and Barnabas, they're up and they're talking about the forgiveness of sins. And they're talking about this way to be in a right relationship with God. And they say that this is for everyone. And this kind of sparks some curiosity among the crowd. And they begin to talk about Paul and Barnabas. So all week long, they're out in their places, wherever they're at, their homes, where they work, whatever they do. And they're beginning to talk about these two guys that were in a synagogue. And they were talking about the fact that this message is for everybody. And they shared it with everybody they knew. And so then the next Sabbath comes. Look at what happens in verse 44. On the next Sabbath... Almost everyone in the city gathered to hear the Lord's word. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were overcome with jealousy. They argued against what Paul was saying by slandering him. Now, it's interesting to me that in other places, when the good news is shared in the book of Acts, when the good news is shared, they are overcome with the Holy Spirit. But here, they're overcome with jealousy. Why? What's the difference? And I think when you look at how Luke describes it, Luke says that they saw the crowds. Think about this. I have no doubt that most of us would love the day when this sanctuary is filled to the brim. Every pew filled and everybody praising God. 
But we want everybody to be praising God the way we do it. We like to sit in our pew. We like to hear the songs that we like. We like the volume level at the level that we want it to be. We don't want to change anything. We want everybody to come and change and be like us. And we have to fight that temptation. There was a man in my first church that would not come to church on Easter or Christmas Eve. And I asked him one day, I was like, why don't you come? And he said, because I get so tired of people coming into the church on Easter and Christmas Eve when they don't come to church any other day. Folks, we have to fight against that temptation to see the crowds. Look, here's the beauty of what I think we're in right now. Worship online. Think about where you are. Everybody's in different places. We're all having to sacrifice something. We're all having to sacrifice the style of worship that we may like. I know that many of you would prefer to be here, and I would prefer you to be here. But we recognize that we're having to sacrifice and suffer. We're having to accommodate our worship so that we're able to be together. Will we do it when we get back? Will we adopt this mentality and this lifestyle of being able to sacrifice for other people's? Or will we just see the crowds? One of the ways that I think about it, and it was kind of discussed one day when we were in a small group in seminary, was think about um, how, how you drive on trips. Now, I'm a, again, I'm a control freak, so I'm always going to drive. I don't ever want to, to be the passenger. But where's the best seat in the car if you're the passenger? And my guess would be most of y'all would say the shotgun seat. Uh, and that, I mean, we, have, we actually have rules to be able to ride shotguns, right? I mean, so you have to see the vehicle, call it, and then you get to sit in there. And that's the seat where, I mean, there's room, there's, you have a little more control, you have a little more, you got if the fancy cars, you have seat warmers, things like that. Where do you not want to sit? You don't want to sit in the back seat middle, right? Because the back seat middle is... I mean, it's uncomfortable. I mean, the fact that you're in the back seat middle tells you there's somebody on both sides. So it's uncomfortable. Some of those seats, there's a little hump and you don't know which way to lean. I mean, there's just everything is uncomfortable about the back seat middle. Imagine if we adopted that type of attitude with our worship, that we're willing to sit in the middle of the back seat. And folks, this is a biblical concept. I just want you to hear this in Mark chapter 9. Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be least of all and the servant of all. And that's hard. Even the disciples struggled with it. The story goes on in Mark where the disciples, right after Jesus teaches this, the disciples are found arguing about, what, about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus hears them and he interrupts and he says, look, the world is telling you that you got to grab hold, that you got to make yourself a priority but if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not going to be that way for you. So if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to hear this passage that comes in Mark chapter 10. He says, that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. This is a deep spiritual truth. People come to me all the time and they want to grow deeper in their faith. You want to be more mature. You want to uh, grow stronger in your relationship with God. Here's how you do it. You adopt a backseat middle 
attitude with regards to worship and service and an attitude of lifestyle. Look for opportunities to to serve your neighbor. Look for opportunities to make someone else's interest ahead of your own. Look for opportunities to serve rather than to be served. Look for opportunities to be able to humble yourself. This is what Jesus tells us is great in the kingdom of God. It's a biblical teaching that is just a truth. In the early church, it said in the New Testament that they literally tried to outdo each other in acts of love. Now, we can get to motivation for that on another day, but but imagine if we, the church, used this opportunity to outdo loving on our neighbors. Imagine what it would look like for us as the church. I had a gentleman who came into the church office this week, and I was talking to him. He's an elderly gentleman, and he wanted just to talk for a few moments. And I asked if there was any way we could help him and his wife. Was there something we could do to go to the grocery store? Was there something that we could do to go pick up a prescription or anything like that? And he said that there was a gentleman at the very beginning of the the week, a neighbor that came to his door, knocked on his door, and said that he was going to Kroger. Was there anything that he could pick up for him? That's what I'm talking about. Imagine if we, the church, continued to outdo in acts of love. I've been overwhelmed myself with people who have called the church and said, I'll go to the store for someone or I'll go pick up a prescription if we need it. People who basically want to be runners for any of you who are not able to get out. What if we did that? Not just during this crisis, but but forever. I mean, what if we, the church, actually became the church? And what I want to challenge you to do is to, to begin to use this time to process how can you live this out when we do gather back together. I shared with the leadership team um, back at our last church council, imagine what it would look like. Our top parking lot. Imagine if we who are able to park and walk in and not, are not physically mobile, imagine if we parked in the back parking lot and left the top parking lot for anybody who's new or anybody who's uncomfortable. Imagine if we sat towards the front because that's the middle, the back seat middle of the church, right? So imagine if we sat towards the front and allowed the back rows for people to come in who come in late or come in who are new. Imagine if we adopted a style that we a mindset, an attitude where we were always constantly focused on what was welcoming to the other person, what was welcoming to somebody new. And I understand how hard that is. I've grown up most of my life in the church. I'm very structured. I'm very routine. I like that. So I get it. But I want you to hear what the Word of God says. See, Paul... He's talking to a Jewish population who is jealous about his message. And listen to what he says. Look on down in verse 47. This is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles so that you could bring salvation to the end of the earth. See, it is easy for us to hear it from the perspective of the Jewish people who are listening to this message because we're uncomfortable. What do you mean we might sing a song that I don't like? Or what do you mean that we might have to do something that maybe is not particularly what I want us to do? But listen to it from the perspective of the Gentiles. Because read on down in verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, these are the people who are outside. So when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the Lord's word. Everyone who was appointed for eternal life believed. And the Lord's word was broadcast throughout the entire region. 
And the story goes on to tell you that if you read it, and I would encourage you to read Acts chapter 13 today, but the Jews begin to, to persecute Paul and Barnabas. And they move on to another city. But it says that the, that the disciples, not just the 12 disciples, but those who believed, who heard this, that they were filled with the abundance of the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with joy. Think about the difference. The Jews who refused to compromise, they were complacent, they were comfortable. They were filled with jealousy. But when walls began to tear down, when the good news was spread to a, to a new group of people, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the presence of God. They were filled with joy. I think we as a church, we are in a difficult situation, and I get it. And I'm not trying to lessen the crisis that we're in. But I believe that we have an opportunity as the church. I believe we have an opportunity to be the church in a way that we've never seen in our lifetime. We have an opportunity to be the church for the communities that we live in. We have the opportunity to bring hope to the world in a very dark time. If we'll be the church. Not just today, but two weeks from now, two months from now, two years from now. If we will adopt this backseat middle attitude. I want to share with you one of the songs I love. is called The Gospel. I just want you to hear these lyrics. It says, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's the cure for our condition. It's the good news for us all. It's greater than religion. It's the power of the cross. So can we get back to the altar, back to the arms of our first love? There's only one way to the Father, and he's calling out to us. It's the gospel that makes a way. It's a gospel that makes a way. And then it goes on to say the amazing news of the gospel is not that we can receive Jesus into our lives, but that he's already received us into his. We're the church. In a world that is hurting and looking for answers, we are one body, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with one baptism, one faith, and one hope. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be the church. Look for ways to love on your neighbor. Look for ways to welcome people in. Look for ways to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, we give you praise in this moment. Lord, I praise you for your gospel, for your good news. I praise you, Lord, for this opportunity that you give us as a church. I realize, Lord... That there are people who are scared, that there are people who are fearful of losing jobs and, and struggling to, to be with family or to be away from family. But God, in the midst of this, I pray, Lord, that we can look for opportunities to love on our neighbor. Look for opportunities to welcome the stranger. I understand social distancing, and I get all of that. But help us not be afraid of our neighbor. Help us not be afraid to still spread your good news. Because in spreading your good news... We share the abundance of the Holy Spirit. It 
it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we, your people, pray. Amen. Amen.